My name's Joe Crummy, one of the leaders here, and I'm going to be speaking this morning, and I'm going to pick things up from where Mark was speaking last Sunday from the book of Mark, from chapter 1. And I know for us in our life group this past week, we had lots of uh, interesting discussion as we studied more that passage and looking at sort of one day in the life of being with Jesus. So spending 24 hours with Jesus, we saw from Mark chapter 1, was not boring by any means, and that Jesus demonstrated his authority and his teaching. Can anyone else remember what they were? His teaching. I am looking at you, John. Right front row. I'm going to pick on you. His teaching, healing. Come on, Mark. Don't leave Mark hanging. I know it was an impacting sermon that impacted us all, that has long-lasting results. (laughs) Deliverance and cleansing. Well done. Five of you can give yourselves a pat on the back. And in case you missed it or you need to listen to it again, it's online on on our website. And we wanted to take a look at today some of the more teaching into the area of what we looked at last week on deliverance. And just a quick review of that. Jesus was teaching, and as he was teaching with authority, and if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, excited to read uh, with this whole Bible project in the new year, you see that in Jesus' teaching and what he did in bringing healing to people and bringing in what we call the kingdom of God, a third of what he did was helping to remove unclean evil spirits from people's lives. And the question you have to ask yourself is this. Okay, first of all, did that really even happen back then? And if it did, do those things happen today? And if so, what do we do about them? So that's why I want to bring more teaching in it today. Mark did a good job last week of, he used that, uh, was it, I think C.S. Lewis quote about two things about devil, evil, Satan, that we can go. We can go one extreme and not even realize that we've, there is a devil in the world, and that's one of his greatest tricks is to, if we don't even think he's there, we won't even have a clue about what he does or schemes or anything like that. Or we can become so obsessed with the devil, but then, as Angela was singing this morning, the devil almost takes control of our heart and not Jesus and not God. And we don't want either extreme. And so this morning, I want to help bring more teaching to educate us so that we don't have to be afraid. We can be aware, but also that we can implement some of these things. And we can be aware that in this spiritual reality that we live in, unclean evil spirits are around today and we need to be aware of these things, and we need to know how to deal with them because they bring turmoil and chaos and destruction to people's lives. And we don't want that. And God's heart is not for us to live in those things. And as we sang this morning, we want his love to reign in every aspect of our life. And so that's what we're going to take a look at this morning. And depending upon your background, this might be something new for you. I grew up sort of a small town Nova Scotia where I never even thought or even dreamed about anything to do with evil or unclean spirits. So I read about it in the Bible, and I must have thought it just happened back then, but it didn't happen today, and I had no experience to go with it as well. So I wasn't even even thinking anything about this until some things started to happen, and then it made me realize, 
the light bulb went on and I was forced to have to deal with some things. Maybe some of these things are true in our day and in our world. So for, I'll give you a couple of examples. So I probably wasn't even, I was probably woof, into my 20s before I began to realize there's some other things going on that kind of go beyond my rational scientific mind. And one of them was I worked in, uh, how do I say it? A facility with people with both mental, physical disabilities. And I had a summer job there during university. Great job. I learned so much working with all kinds of different types of people and working with physios and OTs and psychologists and all kinds of incredible things. But one section that I worked in was uh, basically dear people, probably about 14, I would say, who were very severely uh, impacted through uh, both physical and mental disabilities. So I'm not being too graphic here. This is just, this is who I worked with. Basically, we, we worked in like a rubber room. So you couldn't, like everything was rubber because people beat their heads against everything and threw things and it was a very kind of scary and very intimidating. So guess what? Those 14 never got anybody to come and hang out with them. So a lot of people volunteer and a lot of people would help out uh, at this place, and, but nobody went near this crew because, to be honest, it was very intimidating and it was, uh, it, it was challenging. But I got paid to hang out with, for four months in my summer job with this crew. So I had an, a great time and I just went all in because if people are rolling around on the floor, I just rolled around on the floor. And I just kind of joined in and we'd sing and I'd do all kinds of crazy things and everybody thought I was crazy, but I, you know what? we got to do something different because obviously kind of, and in some of those experiences we had, uh, and I knew I was a Christian and I was like, I'm bringing Jesus to these people. I couldn't say that out loud, but I knew what I was doing. So I prayed all the time and just to myself, like just silently. And as I did that, I had some interesting reactions to some of the things I did. So what we saw last week in Jesus, and as he was teaching, someone shrieked and someone screamed out loud, and someone, I had those things start to happen. So I'm going like, now is that just, that just like a physical, biological, chemical thing, or is there something spiritual going on? But it made me think, and that's other stories for another time. And then I had a good friend, uh, Jeff Stubbert, who's a Christian counselor, and some of you know Jeff. And so I was asking him, and I was saying, Jeff, like, you got to help me out, man, because He's a Christian, deals with a lot of things. I said, you know, are these things, like, it's all new to me. Like, do these things actually really happen? He's like, oh, Joe, he says, let me tell you. And I was like, okay, Jeff, you got my attention. <laughs> tell me. He goes, Joe, he said, I was a Christian for a long time. He said, the first time I had an experience with something like this, this is what it did. It actually, he said, I hate to say it. He said, but honestly, it made me realize that God is real when I experienced something demonic. So in his counseling, uh, just with normal everyday people, so that was kind of one extreme, and you can say, well, that's kind of like, there's a lot going on, but just like normal everyday people in my office, we're talking, we're going through, and as we talk about things of Jesus and all these different things, he's like, I've had people, all of a sudden, their voice changes, and they speak to me, and not their voice, with very ungodly things, and he's like, all of a sudden, I'm faced with the reality of, I've got an evil, unclean spirit in my office, in this person, and I don't even believe in these things. But quickly, you've got to decide, maybe I need to change what I believe. <laughs> <laughs> or 
Or maybe I need to start actually believing what I believe. And Jeff just shared, and it helped me, said, that was the first time I went, God, you're real, because I see there's a real enemy that's real. Now, I'm trying to say this. I'm not trying to scare anyone. I'm not trying to be sensational and all that. I'm trying to wake us up to a reality. And then I've got some other things to share just from in the last 20 years of helping pastor people that, folks, what we read in the Bible, and we see it in Jesus' life, and we see it in the early Christians, and throughout church history, right up to present day, there's a spiritual world that goes beyond us explaining things in a very rational, scientific, that it's just biology and that some of our chemistry's off and different things happen. There's a reality that goes beyond that. Now, that's all included. So I work with, as a pastor, I work with mental health people and we work with psychologists and psychiatrists and we know people are on different drugs and prescriptions and that's good and we're not against that and we work together. But we as Christians deal with a whole other aspect of life and reality that goes beyond sometimes what doctors and mental health and people can do because we believe and we know from God's Word that we live in a spiritual reality. And so we're, I'm bringing teaching and application to not say don't ever go to a doctor or don't go to a counselor. I'm not, hear me loud and clear, I'm not saying that. We work together, but we bring an aspect that we see from the Word of God that maybe other people can't give, and we want to, and everything we sang about this morning, the government of Jesus coming in and with authority that comes and brings wholeness and health and peace and stability and order, that's the kingdom of God breaking into every aspect of our lives. And what does baby Jesus in a manger, oh, cute baby Jesus in a manger, what does that have to do with evil and unclean spirits? Well, that's what I'm going to explain this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to the book of Isaiah, and we're going to read from Isaiah 9, a very, maybe to some of you, a very familiar passage. We sang it, actually, some of the words in our, one of our songs this morning, and I want to try to connect the dots a bit between what we talk about, and sometimes I find with Christmas, if you're already a Christian, sometimes what I find with Christmas, you can sing the carols, and we can sing things so much, we actually miss out, and we, we're kind of doing it by repetition, and we miss out the reality of what we're singing. And so I want to bring a reality to it. Many people don't, if maybe you don't consider yourself a Christian this morning, you don't understand how Jesus has come to impact every aspect of your life. And when we talk about depression and anxiety, and we talk about addictions and different things like this, sometimes you think, well, Jesus, like, that's a whole other thing. I need help for these things, and Jesus doesn't apply. I'm saying to you this morning, Jesus applies to everything. And Jesus has come to bring freedom from these things. And we pick it up in Isaiah chapter 9. In Isaiah, there's lots of quotes in Isaiah, a lot of passages that point towards Jesus. It's probably maybe the book in the Old Testament that foreshadows and predicts and prophesies that Jesus is coming. And a lot of times in Isaiah, I'm just setting the context, there's an immediate application. So in Isaiah's day, there was an immediate application, but also there was a future application that was coming. And more in Isaiah's day, it had to do with people in bondage and slavery and all that, physically, like geography-wise, like a nation taken into slavery, all that pointing ahead, it's more like a spiritual thing. It's not so much geography in that, it's a spiritual thing, and that's what we're going to read about here this morning. So, 
pick it up in verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, referring to Jesus. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So folks, as we see when Jesus came, and you've got to kind of help pick up from Mark's first couple of messages, Jesus came, and we see him born, and he grew up, and then he began his ministry, and he began his ministry by saying this, the kingdom of God is here, and he uses different terms in the gospels, the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom of God is near, but the kingdom of God is here, and what Jesus is saying is, and this is helping to establish our framework for what I'm going to talk about this morning is, there's two different kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God, and the Bible says there's a kingdom of darkness. There are two kingdoms at war with one another. And Jesus is saying, and we see it through this description in the Bible, that God created heavens and the earth. He created Adam and Eve, relationship with him. And we see that Satan, and explained later, Satan was an angel, and he disobeyed God, and he failed to worship God, and he became selfish, and he took a whole crew with him that rebelled against God, and God, there's consequences to that. God sent them out, and we see that Satan on planet earth wants to usurp what Adam and Eve had with God, and that's what he did, and we see that Satan's a tempter, and he deceives, and he's a liar, and all these things we see in the Bible, and to Adam and Eve, he sold them alive, and Adam and Eve obeyed Satan and not God, and the consequences of that is that Adam and Eve gave up their governmental rights to rule planet Earth on behalf of God to Satan. So I've got to give you some background to get to the, back to the evil spirit part, okay? So bear with me. This is going somewhere. But you have to understand some of the legal issues that are going forth that are really important because Satan works on legal ground. Do you follow me? Adam and Eve, created by God, relationship, and Adam and Eve said it. This is what I want. This God said to Adam and Eve, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take care of planet Earth. I want you to go forth and multiply. I want you to be good stewards of what I've given to you. And they had that, and Satan came along and said, God's holding on you. Don't believe him. Don't trust him. And Adam and Eve believed the lie over the truth. And the consequences of that, they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. They were separated now from God. Evil came in, and very quickly, their sons we got murder, chapter 4, into Genesis. And Satan, it says, became prince of this world, meaning planet Earth, or the God, little g, of this world. And he usurped. He took what was rightfully Adam and Eve's place, and Satan took it. And then Satan now has rule and dominion over planet Earth. And we see the consequences of that lived out throughout the Old Testament right up till 
today. But God established a rescue mission. It's like a great movie, isn't it? There's a hero coming who's going to reestablish the true government on planet earth, and that's going to be the kingdom of God. So when Jesus came and said, behold, the kingdom of God is here, he's bringing in a new government that's going to take over the government of Satan, the kingdom of darkness. Do you follow me so far? And Jesus is going to take back what rightfully belongs to his father. And that's what Jesus said, I've come to do that. And so what were the signs of the kingdom? We said, Jesus came and he brought authority to show that he is the true king. And he brought authority in his teaching. He brought truth. He brought authority in over evil and unclean spirits because he's like, the new king is here and he has more authority and power than the old one. And he brought healing over sickness to show that he has real dominion and power. And Jesus taught, and this is what Jesus did. He declared the kingdom of God, and he demonstrated the kingdom of God. And that's what we see lived out. And the only way that he could truly defeat Satan, sin, the power of sin, and death, was ironically by dying himself. So it's the great irony in the story. There's a twist in the plot. Because everyone's thinking, Jesus is going to come, there's a new king in town, and he's going to crush the enemy. And everyone's like, yeah, we can't wait. And the exact opposite seemed to happen. Jesus went to a cross, and it seemed like the enemy, the old king, crushed the new king. And it seemed like the old king won, and that things not even were bad, they were made even worse, because now our hero has died. And Jesus went to the cross, all part of God's plan, because he paid the penalty for sin. There's a consequence when we disobey God. Someone has to pay the price. Jesus paid the price. He lived his perfect life to please God and his sacrifice, his great substitution, innocent for guilty, for you and I, for those back in that day. He paid the price. He died on the cross. Sin was poured out and the anger of God, because God gets angry at sin. We get angry at sin, don't we? We see injustice and we get angry. It's like someone's going to pay. There's got to be justice. God put his anger on Jesus Christ instead of us. And the good news is, God had power to raise Jesus from the dead. He physically raised him from the dead. And therefore, it showed him conquering Satan, the power of sin, and the power of death. So death no longer had the end thing. And Satan's kingdom has begun to diminish more and more from 2,000 years ago until today. And what we just read in Isaiah, that the government is going to be on Jesus' shoulders and it's going to be ever-increasing, is the rescue mission has begun and his kingdom is ever-increasing. And his kingdom now doesn't increase through geography or temples or buildings. His kingdom comes into people's lives. So you just think about the songs we sung this morning. We're talking about prepare your heart for the Savior. Okay, prepare him room. Okay, Jesus comes to rule and reign, crowned with many crowns. Think about every song we sang this morning had to do with kings, governments, ruling, reigning thrones. You just think about the impact of government on every aspect of your life. We talked about this a, bit, a little bit at our life group. 
You think about the impact of government on every aspect of your life. And if you have a good government, you probably don't even think about the impact of government on your life. But government, so you just think about us here in Canada, government affects every aspect of your life. And because we live in a fairly good government system, we don't really think about it. We kind of complain more about the government than we do thankful for the government. If you think about your education, you think about your safety, you think about the police and the military, you think about your water source, you think about your food, you think about every aspect, money, finances, social system, Medicare, every aspect of your life is affected by government, and you don't know how good you have until the government's bad. And so you speak to some of our friends here from different parts of the world who've had an experience of a bad government and how that affects every aspect of your life, or no government. And all of a sudden you realize you take away all those things and the military and the police are your enemies and not your protectors. And you've got no food and water and you've got no education system and you've got no health care. All of a sudden you begin to realize government affects every aspect of our lives. And folks, spiritually, government affects every aspect of our lives, whether we know it or not. And so the question is this morning, whose government are you under this morning? And we have in our North American worldview, we have this whole uh, sort of way of thinking that anything Christian or spiritual and that is this huge leap of faith, but actually the reality is there's sort of this middle ground that the normal is a very humanistic, secular view that is the norm, and then you've got to be a bit more religious to have a different worldview. And people question a Christian worldview based on history and based on science and rational thinking and experience and all these things, not realizing that we have to take a look at a secular worldview and ask the same questions. We all get our worldview through our culture, our experience, our history, influences, education. And we have to ask ourselves, okay, how do we answer some of these big questions in life from that type of worldview? How do we answer questions about what is the meaning of life, purpose, joy, fulfillment, meaning in life? How do we answer some of those things? And from a Christian worldview, that includes a spiritual component. That has to do with eternity, not just the here and now. And most of our culture is concerned with the here and now. So what pleases me? What fulfills me now? Not thinking about the future. And what's our biggest thing in our worldview is our freedom of choice. I get to choose what I want to believe. That's our biggest thing in North America. It's our personal freedom. Now, there's some good things to that, but we kind of take it to the extreme as I get to decide truth. I get to decide what, who I want to be. And that affects our view of marriage, sexuality, you name it. That affects everything. We're saying from a Christian worldview that there's something beyond just flesh and blood. There's something just beyond a biological, chemical answer to these things. And quickly, I just want to take a look at a couple of things here this morning, and I want to focus in on, that's just trying to give you a background to understand First of all, do we even believe that there's a spiritual thing taking place? And secondly, when we do see these things, what do we do with them? 
So let me just give you a definition. The kingdom of God is the rule, reign, dominion, power, and authority of Jesus Christ in heaven and on earth. And spiritually, it's in our lives, not in just geography or a piece of land or a building. And we read this in Acts 10.38. This is a great description of Jesus. For we know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So if you think of Jesus just as a good moral teacher, or you think of Jesus as a philosopher or just a historical figure, the Bible says this, he went around doing good because the Holy Spirit was upon him and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. So if you consider him just a good religious guy, you've got to take into fact, what does it mean that he went around setting people free who were oppressed by the devil? Your worldview has to include a devil and an enemy. And we live in a time now when Jesus' government and kingdom is ever-increasing because now he's ruling and reigning. So after he's resurrected, he was here on earth, then he ascended to heaven. He gave his Holy Spirit to his believers. He's ruling and reigning. We know that Jesus is coming again. And he advances his kingdom through his people. So if you're a Christian, he advances his kingdom through you. You are an, an ambassador of Christ. You have authority to go because that's who your king is and you represent Jesus. And from a Christian's perspective, the Bible talks about three battles we're engaged in, whether we know it or not. Not battles with people. That's what we get confused on. So sometimes we hate people who have a different view from us. We're not hating people, but Paul says this in Ephesians 6.12, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So let's take a look at three things that we battle as the Bible defines them. We battle, there's a battle for our thinking. There's a battle for our minds. So there's a battle for our thinking. So there are systems of thinking, philosophy, reasoning, and culture that do not acknowledge Jesus. And that's a real battle. So you think about, there's a battle for our mind. There's a battle for what we think about. And this affects everything. It affects our education, our values, our priorities. And as I said earlier, we all get our worldview through a variety of rational, emotional, cultural, social, experiential factors. And as I said, more and more our culture is emphasizing the here and now. What makes me happy now via economic growth or health, material comfort, emotional fulfillment, and our personal choice. So there's a whole view, and I won't get into it, but I'm just mentioning there's a whole battle for thinking, and that's the second one is what the Bible says is our flesh. And I'll define that as our sinful cravings to live for ourselves and not for God. And primarily, this is our biggest problem, probably. It is for me. I've got my own inward battles that are influenced by sleep, exercise, food, desires, emotions, sexual cravings, and it comes down to a thousand little choices, as I've said here many, many times. And the Bible says we're to deny and crucify the flesh, and we're to yield to the Holy Spirit. So that's probably our number one battle. So I'm trying to say there's a battle for our thinking. We have our own internal battle. And if we all admit, we realize that. So some people come to me with problems. I'm like, you know what? It's not a demonic spirit. It's not an evil spirit. If you got a better sleep and you exercise some and you drank more water, you would feel a whole lot better. <laughs> and sometimes we just have to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, so if you're a Christian, God's given you his spirit to empower and to enable. We don't have to do it on our own, but we need to learn to 
yield to the Holy Spirit. And so we have the Holy Spirit saying to us, you know what, you don't need to do that. You might have always done that before, you don't need that. And the Holy Spirit, we have a new voice as our coach saying, you used to do that, you used to find fulfillment in that, you don't need that anymore, find it in Jesus. And as we yield to the Holy Spirit, we're saying no to our flesh. And habits can change and lifestyles can change. But we also battle the devil. And so what I'm saying to you is the majority of the time, the Bible says we need to change our thinking. It needs to line up with the Word of God. And that's why we're putting such an emphasis on the Word of God. We renew our minds through the Word of God. So the world might say this, the Bible says this, and the Bible, we're going to take over what the world says. We battle the flesh, and a lot of times it's just like, you know what, I've given in to the flesh too much, and I need, say, Holy Spirit. And that's what we talk about, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I need your help to change some things. However, we also battle the devil. And Satan has a kingdom of fallen angels, evil spirits that work with him. And we've got to remember the devil is not equal to God. He's not all-knowing or all-powerful, but he is strong, vicious, cunning, crafty, destructive. And it helps me to think of this way. Satan's a terrorist. He doesn't play by the rules. So he'll go after where you're vulnerable, and he's smart. And without Jesus, we can't take him on by ourselves. So we always come in Jesus. And the Bible says he accuses, he deceives, he tempts, he tricks, he traps, he uses fear. And there are certain ways that Satan can affect and influence and control our lives. And sometimes, and I'm going to explain it here in a minute, we give legal ground for Satan to have access and influence into our life. And the good news is we can change that. And if you are a Christian, the good news is this. In Christ, when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he's paid the penalty, we receive forgiveness, we're brought back into relationship with God, the power of sin is broken. The Bible says we're a new creation, and we therefore live under a new government. And I'm trying to educate you to say, let's live in the good of this new government that we have. And it changes the way we think as we renew our mind, as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we've been given a helper, a counselor, a comforter, a teacher who speaks to us. And yet sometimes we still have addictions and strong things over our lives that it seems like in renewing our mind and denying the flesh, we can't get victory in it. And sometimes, I'm saying this sometimes, that's because there's an evil or unclean spirit that has access to our life that influences us and makes us do the things that we don't want to do. Sometimes. Do you hear me? Sometimes. And what I'm saying to you this morning is, as we go through pastorally and we say, okay, what do you think about this? How is your thinking lined up? How are things going How are you denying the flesh? And as we go through, most of the time, our issues are dealt with those two ways. However, sometimes there's a third thing going on, and that's as we've given, if you think about this, okay, I own, Angela and I own a physical house, 65 Lawson Court, and we have a lock on the door. And we decide who we let into our house. So we're very generous, we let a lot of people in, but we decide the boundaries of who we let into our house. Because once you let something in, you might have a hard time getting it out. So we don't let very many animals into our house. And people, can you just use that 
illustration and think about your life spiritually is you have boundaries, and what I'm going to explain is sometimes we open the door, a lot of times unwillingly, sometimes the door gets kicked in through experience, but we allow access for an evil, unclean spirit into our life. And what we have in Christ Jesus, the good news is this, we have power in Jesus to expel and put a new boundary on that door so that we can be whole on the inside. Do you follow me? Okay, here's some ways Satan can have access to our lives. First of all, through the occult. So the occult means secret and hidden things. And in the Bible, it's forbidden to seek mediums, spiritists, psychics, all of those things. It's a no-no in the Bible. Now, I understand, in our culture, in our world, it's very popular. You can call a psychic hotline, you can go to the exhibition and get your palm read, you can magic eight ball, you can Ouija boards at Walmart, okay? Like, I understand this is countercultural, but in the Bible, we open ourselves up to demonic things when we get involved in these sort of things. So if you've done that innocently and not know, I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you, I'm just saying you can take authority and you can shut those doors, and I'll explain that in a minute. Because it's popular. People have a need for spirituality. People have a desire to know the future. Why? Because a lot of times we have a fear of the unknown. So Angela is singing that this morning. We don't want fear to be in the throne of our heart. We want God to be. But people seek, a lot of times, to understand the future because they're fearful of it. So they seek supernaturally through different things. And the scary thing is, sometimes there's actual real power at work. And so through a Ouija board, we've seen many people, they do something silly and they get an answer, and it's right, and they do it again, and they get it again, and then all of a sudden, something dramatic says, your friend's going to die on this date. And you're like, well, five times out of five, it was right before, so therefore, oh my soul, what's going to happen? And it brings fear and control. I'm trying to give you some real-life illustrations to say we've seen people in bondage to these sorts of things, and it happens so innocently at the beginning. People seek comfort. So a lot of people, someone dies, what do they want? I want to have contact with the dead so I know they're okay. And so people seek mediums and different people to try to contact the dead. And the Bible says that's a no-no. That's actually going to do us harm. And people actually have a real experience, but it opens the door for evil and unclean spirits. That's one thing. We'll come back to how to deal with that. Second thing, I call it, I don't know a better word, but we just say idolatry. Idolatry is anything worshipped other than God. So I'm going to give you some real life examples. So money can be an idol. And money and greed or poverty can actually have an evil, open a door for an evil spirit. And we've seen people controlled by money, possessions, either stressed about it, they never have enough, or if they have too little, it can really open a door. It can be other religions. It could be bitterness, unforgiveness. Unforgiveness can be an idol. It can run someone's life. They're bitter. They might be justified, but unforgiveness, bitterness can become an idol. Because why? Because that's the God of their life. That influences every aspect of their life. Porn is a big one. So porn, pornography, can, it's a battle for the mind, and it can be through sight, through the whole reading thing, and all the stuff that 
There's all kinds of different aspects of it. But the point being, it can start, you can think innocent, this isn't going to harm anyone, but it sucks you in deeper and deeper and deeper, and all of a sudden it's got control over you, and you're not satisfied, and it can open a door for an evil and unclean spirit that goes beyond just your chemicals being rewired and biologically. All those things are true as well, but you can open yourself up for an unclean spirit. I hope you're getting the point that sin has consequences. When we go against what God has said in his word, okay, we just give, we're talking to someone this week, okay, God gave the Ten Commandments. It wasn't the Ten Suggestions. It was the Ten Commandments for our good. If we just followed those, we'd be in a much better place. Relationships. And I'm going to talk about sexual purity. The Bible says marriage, male and female, and that sexual union only within marriage. Why? Because the two become one flesh. So when we have sexual relationships outside of marriage or beyond marriage, there's a bond that happens. And people don't realize it. Two become one flesh. And our spirit, our soul, is joined with someone else. It's meant to be in the confines of marriage, the most intimate and unifying thing there is. It's actually an act of worship to God. It's a beautiful, pure thing. It's wonderful. You can see why there's such a battle for it. But when we have sex outside of marriage and we sleep around, we're bonding with other people, whether it's male and female, male, male, female, female, or all things underneath. And now we got animals that add it to the mix as well. And you can laugh, but it's true. And we've dealt with people because you start out here and you're not satisfied and then you go down this slippery slope of trying out all kinds of other things. And folks, what I'm saying to you is what we deal with all the time within us. So I'm only saying to you what I say one-on-one -on -one in an office, helping people get set free from things. This is the stuff we go over. So I'm just saying it more in a corporate way today. And so many times, people are troubled and tormented, even when they break up with someone, even if they're married, they've got some connection to someone from the past. Why? Because you've been bonded together. Relationships and rejection, huge issue. Dealing with rejection, you can be rejected in the womb. So there's lots of unwanted babies, and you might have heard growing up, you were a mistake, or I wish I'd never had you. Oh, that wound us. And we're rejected. Siblings, we can be jealous and abuse one another, mistreat one another. Peers, bullying, shaming, such incredible things in our world today. People commit suicide over being bullied and shamed because they've been rejected. Authority issues. Parents can abuse kids. Uncles and aunts can abuse kids. Teachers can abuse kids. Pastors and priests can abuse kids. Coaches can abuse kids. Police and military can abuse kids. And all of that wounds us. And it can open a door for an unclean, evil spirit. Trauma we've been abused, if we've been in an accident, if we've been sexually abused, verbally abused, physically abused, if we've lost control some way, so drugs, alcohol, anything like that where people pass out and they're like, I don't even remember what I did last night. Well, you should be concerned about what you did last night because you don't know what you've opened yourself up to. There's more lists. I'm just trying to give you some common things. So folks, here's it. These can be entry points. So please hear me. I'm not saying if you've been drunk once in your life, you have an evil, unclean spirit. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there's a possibility that in your life, 
as you search through it and you go, okay, do I need to change my thinking on some things to line up with God's word? Do I just need to have a bit more self-control with the help of the Holy Spirit? But sometimes you know I cannot get free of X, Y, or Z, then maybe something else is going on. Let alone, as I've seen happen many times with us, I'm talking about us, in my office talking normally, and as we start to go some things, the atmosphere changes in the room, all of a sudden it gets cold, and someone who's a good friend, who we're just talking about normal things, all of a sudden speaks in a different voice and starts cursing and swearing at you and all these things, you get quickly realize something else is going on. And we've got some choices to make. What are we going to deal with this? And that, happen, that has happened many, many times. And it's a difficult one because I wish I could get them up here because it's us, but it's a difficult one. So if someone got healed, it's easier to come up and say, God healed me, and we can all clap. Hey, God healed. Hey, I got set free from a demon. Oh, okay. That's, that's okay. Well, I think that's kind of good. It's a tougher one for us to share on a Sunday morning because it's us. And I'm not going to embarrass anyone by pointing anyone out, but many people in here, I counted yesterday. I was just trying to think, okay, just in the last few years, just, I was just thinking, I counted 31 people that I know in our church family that this has happened in some way or another. So do these things exist today? Yes, they do. Is it just a cultural thing? No. Now Daniel, I don't think he's here this morning from Nigeria, speaking of Daniel, in his culture, in his worldview, it's not very hard to believe in evil spirits. He's like, well, there's witch doctors everywhere, so either for the devil or for God, there's no, there's no one in between. So talking to him in his culture, pfft, I don't have to explain all these things. It's like, live it. You can be cursed. You can have curses put on you, voodoo, all those different things, or you can have God. There's really not much in between. And I'll just say, as I've said many times before, there's a difference between demon possession and being harassed by a demon. And so the Bible teaches that you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you cannot be demon possessed because the Holy Spirit lives in you and only he has the right to reside in you. However, if you've opened that door, that unclean evil spirit can come and go. So he doesn't live there, but he can visit and harass you. And that's a lot of times what has taken place. And we've had sometimes some people who aren't Christians be demon-possessed. They have actually have an evil, unclean spirit living in them, and we need to get them free, but we need to then get them filled with the Holy Spirit and following Jesus, or else, as Jesus taught, you get rid of one, seven are going to come back and take its place. These are serious things, and even for Christians, as we're set free from an evil and unclean spirit, we need then to renew our minds, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and we need to go on making good choices as we've been set free, to maintain the freedom God has given us, or else we can just open that door again. And so sometimes it still needs to lead to many changes in our choices in what we do. But we can be harassed. The door is open, and, the, and sometimes it can be things from our past, our pre-Christian days, sin that we've opened up to. Now here's the good news, and this is where I'm going to close, is that Jesus has come to set the captives free. So we can be free from the penalty of sin. We can be forgiven. Hallelujah. 
And Jesus has accomplished that, and we want to receive that. And we can be free from hell and eternity apart from God, and we can receive an inheritance that now we belong to the kingdom of God. We're going to be forever with Jesus in heaven. Hallelujah. And we receive all the, we receive the Holy Spirit. We have a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. We have a helper. We can receive all these things, but also we can receive deliverance from anything that is harassing us. And we need discernment between the whole, by the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts. So God has given many people a gift of discernment. What a great gift to know sometimes pastorally when we're meeting people, is this the world, the flesh, or the devil? So if you feel you have a gift of discernment, we need to know so that we can maybe get you in some counseling situations where all you need to be there is in the room praying and discerning. Is this the origin that we're dealing with from the wrong way of thinking? Is it just our flesh and that we need to smarten up and obey the Spirit? Or is there a demonic origin here that we need to deal with? We can see deliverance happen many ways. One is through the presence of Jesus. The presence of God can cause a reaction. And we've seen that. So we've had some times, now you might not have noticed it because we're a bit better at observing, but for us as elders, we've had in our worship times people manifest an unclean demonic spirit and we've dealt with it and taken care of it. You might not have never known it ever happened. But we've seen that here on Sunday mornings and in other context. It's the power and the presence of Jesus. We see the truth of the gospel. So I've been many times with people and we're going through the gospel and a demon manifests because the power and truth of Jesus Christ and his kingdom and that the king is here and it provokes a response. There's the authority of Jesus. And I love it. Even that passage from Mark last week, Jesus has compassion on the person, but he indignant at the unclean spirit. So compassion for the person, but rightfully, in a sense, angered by the devil. And so we love the person, and we are dealing with the unclean spirit. Folks, how do we get set free? Three things that can happen. Most of the time it's this, is we actually take responsibility for our actions, and we repent and turn from our sin. So Mark did, please listen to his message a couple weeks ago, the disciples repenting. They turned from their own way and they followed Jesus. So we repent from our sins. We're sorry, but not just sorry. We turn from them. There's action involved. We confess our sins. We're, we bring it into the light. Satan deals with darkness. We bring it into the light. We ask for forgiveness. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we're accountable with a team of people to say, I need to change my thinking. I need to stop doing it my way. I need to turn to Jesus and I need to learn a new way of living. We also do this. We renounce. We shut the door. So renouncing, the definition from the, from the dictionary is this. To abandon, surrender, give up, decline association with, withdraw from, discontinue. So we need to, if we're involved in the occult, we lead people through a prayer. I renounce. I shut the door. I discontinue. I decline associating with, with Ouija boards. And then we go through and we pray a prayer, renouncing everything. Because what are we doing? We're legally shutting the door. And we pray prayers. I renounce my sexual relationship with, and we name the people if we can remember who they are. We're shutting the door legally so Satan has no access to our house. That's what we're doing. We, we bring things into the light. 
it loses power. And sometimes in a situation, so that's what we always try to do. Pastorally, we always try to get people to take ownership of their own lives. So they repent, they renounce. Sometimes, as we saw in the Bible last week, and in counseling and just meeting with people, sometimes a demon, I'm going to say manifests or speaks or shrieks or yells or whatever, and that person is unable to repent or renounce because it's such a distraction. And then people who are Christians have authority in Jesus' name to do the same thing that Jesus did. Speak to the demon, be quiet. You can talk to the person, say, this is what's going on, this is what's happening. Don't be afraid, we're here, we're gonna deal with this. And in Jesus' name, be quiet. And in Jesus' name, come out. And we take authority for the unclean evil spirit to come out of that person. Then when they're back and focused and free, and we dialogue, did you feel anything happen? Do you feel we need to pray more? Maybe there's more than one that we need to deal with. Then we're able to follow up with the same things. Do we need to renounce anything? Repent from anything? Let's be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's make sure you're in life group. Let's make sure you're in the Word. Let's make sure we're praying together because we need the ongoing care so that we don't just fall back into other patterns. And the good news is we've seen many, 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 many people happen. So I'm going to give you one real life example, okay? So I'm going to be very vulnerable because I've asked this person if they would share. It's me. Okay? So some of you were even there. So I'm going to close with this to say sometimes we don't even know how something even got involved. So we were at a prayer meeting a couple years ago. Ben's nodding his head. He was probably there. We were at a prayer meeting a couple years ago. We worshiped. I think we prayed. I think we prayed for people. And I think it was even at the end of the meeting and something happened to me that I didn't expect. I wasn't looking for. I didn't even know was there. But something happened and I knew something's not right. And I knew physically something wasn't right. I knew emotionally, mentally, spiritually something was not right, but something was going in me. And I think I, think I asked Gary, I think I said to Gary, I think, because some of it's a bit hazy, I said, I think something's in here and you need to help me get it out. And I think I screamed or I did some guttural thing that was a bit unnerving, a bit embarrassing in front of your own church uh, family as the leader of the church. And I yelled something and it was all happening that was beyond my reason or scientific mind was able to. And Gary helped lead in a prayer and Gary took authority and something came out and I was at peace and I was completely different five seconds later than I was the five minutes before and I was delivered of something. Now, I can't tell you how there was an entry point. All I know is I walked out free. Hallelujah. So, real life story. Many of you were there to even witness it. Supernatural. A bit awkward? Yep. A bit scary? Yep. A bit messy? Absolutely. Freedom? Yes. And it's great working in team that we can help each other. So, I'm going to bring things to a close. But from that passage in Isaiah, and we sang this morning, can I just end with these four phrases about Jesus? It said Jesus is going to be our wonderful counselor. 
Folks, I'm not against counseling, so please don't hear Jesus is our wonderful counselor. So can I just say, in whatever counseling you might be receiving, please, please, please make sure it includes coming to Jesus, who is the wonderful counselor. There can be a lot of good things in counseling, but unless you're coming to Jesus as the wonderful counselor, it's probably not going to do the full thing. Jesus is our wonderful counselor. It says Jesus is our mighty God. Jesus has power and authority to set us free from evil, powerful, unclean spirits. So we don't need to be afraid. So please, you might be a bit rattled if you're hearing this for the first time. Don't be afraid. Jesus is mighty God. But if you're unaware and you don't know Jesus is greater, you might suffer in silence and not understand there's a spiritual battle going on. Jesus, is a, he's our everlasting father. If there's anything that needs to be restored in our day and our culture is understanding of the love of the Father. That when you know you're loved by God as a good Father, despite whatever abuse or neglect you've been through, there's just something about being, knowing that you're a son and a daughter loved by an everlasting Father that brings healing and peace and restoration, and wholeness, and love, and joy, and peace. That there's no substitute. And Jesus is this. He's our Prince of Peace. So Satan comes, Jesus said, to rob, kill, and destroy. Jesus has come that he might give life and give it abundantly. Jesus is our Prince of Peace. And folks, if and when you get delivered, there's a peace that comes that Jesus rules and he reigns in his love. That there is peace like you've never experienced before. And that's the kingdom of God. And we pray every day. And I'll close with this. As Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And what are we praying for? We're praying for people to be saved from their sin and to be saved from the power of sin and to be saved from the dominion, the government of darkness. And that the kingdom would come, that people would know they've been born again, born of the Holy Spirit, brought into the kingdom of the Son whom God loves, that you're a part of a new kingdom, you've got a new king, you're in a part of a new government, a new ruling and reigning, a new authority, and not only do you get to live in the good of that, you get to live as an ambassador, and you get to bring the kingdom of God everywhere you go. Hallelujah. It's one of salvation, healing, deliverance, cleansing, and release. That's the kingdom. So I wish we had time. I wish we could sing every song that we already sang and reinforce that we're not just singing words. We're not just singing cute Christmas songs. We're not just season. Oh, it's the season. It's tradition. We get to do our carols. It's the kingdom of God. Every time you sing one of those carols, you are declaring the authority and the power of Jesus Christ and his kingdom has come. His, he will reign. He will rule forever. And every time we see people saved and healed and delivered and cleansed, we're extending 
the kingdom of God. The government will be upon his shoulders. It will be an ever-increasing government and one of peace. That's the kingdom of God. So this Christmas season, folks, you got to do some homework in your life to say, am I lining up with what we see in the New Testament? Am I lining up with Jesus? Do I need to change my thinking on some things? Do I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and deny the flesh? And is there anything that I know deep inside? You don't have to be embarrassed about it, but just a reality. I know certain areas of my life I am not free. Well, Christmas is a wonderful time to repent, to renounce, and maybe you need some deliverance in order to experience and live in the good of the kingdom of God. My time's run over, so I'm going to hand it back to Ollie because I'm not quite sure what we do now.